Hey there, before we get started, I always forget to say this. Would you please go and take a moment and rate and review the podcast, wherever you listen to the podcast. It's super helpful, it helps people find the show, and it also gives me good feedback on how I can be making the show better, or how I can continue to be awesome. That was uncomfortable for me to say. Okay, thanks for doing that. All right, now we'll get started. Here we go. Welcome to Doing the Best We Can with Eddie Koffeltz. We We hope hope you enjoy the show. (laughs) Thank you, Eve and Lucy. I love that every single week. I love hearing them. Obviously, it was recorded, and they just, it's the same thing over and over. But it makes me happy that they start the show, and I'm glad that you're here. My name is Eddie Koffeltz. Thanks for coming back to Doing the Best We Can. Uh, You know, I've been thinking about, like, what is this about? And I had somebody tell me the other day, like, oh, it's just basically about things you're thinking about, which, as a branding strategy, is not altogether interesting, because who am I to be sharing what I'm randomly thinking about, but that's what this is. Um, It's about doing the best we can. It's about finding ways to traverse life together. Some of them, as we have said before, are going to be random and small. Some of the ways are going to be big and brave and scary. And we're going to talk about our failures and our successes because that's what we're doing in this life together. We're just doing our best. So thanks for coming to the show. Uh, Thank you for continuing to share it. It is kind of... um, like I said, kind of not the best audience building technique to build a show around just what's on my mind. And so the way people have found the show is by you sharing it. And so the more you could rate and review the show on whatever you're listening to it on, share it on social, uh, forward the newsletter to a friend, they don't have to subscribe, just share it with a friend. The more people can hear this and the more sustainable this becomes. So thank you so much for your support as we head into week eight. Look forward to it looking forward to today as you can tell i wasn't gonna give (laughs) i wasn't gonna give the uh the the typical disclaimer but this show is live we just go for it in one take and i do that because i think it makes it a little bit more uh honest between the two of us and good bad ugly you get what you get like me flubbing my own words so with that let's get into this week's main conversation point Issue 8, October 20th, 2022. Subject, why I'm not a pastor. I find it fascinating that nearly a decade ago, I was an associate pastor for four years. Yet people ask me about that time of my life more than anything else I've ever done. Now, in fairness, I've done a lot of public processing about those four years, which has led to renewed questions. I get that. In addition, a lot of the audiences I have been and am fortunate to speak with are people of faith who would naturally care about this more than most. But it also makes me keenly aware that there is something about this transition in my life that strikes a chord. For example, this email came in just last week. Hey, Eddie. I'm getting ready to leave my church after serving as a pastor for five years. I have loved my job, but I am ready to pursue some of my dreams. What advice do you have for grieving and transitioning out of ministry well? Bridget. Let's talk about this, Bridget. First things first, I think it's important to make distinctions between the role of pastor and the concept of ministry. While you can easily Google search and find some helpful and or toxic understandings of how some scholars have defined the term pastor in our modern society, 
The position of pastor is typically synonymous with the job of pastor. Generally, pastors have some leadership over a church staff, have some measure of spiritual guidance for the congregation, and they get tax breaks for days. Being in ministry, however, is a much broader term that plenty of people who don't have the job of pastor ascribe to. Being in ministry is a catch-all term for the rest of us who are trying to live out the tenets of faith in some way or ways. Maybe people would put something lofty like calling on this as well, but I think that overcomplicates it a touch. People who are trying to live out justice and mercy and humility in their day-to-day life are, in some way, in ministry. Which leads me back to some of the questions I've received regarding my time as a pastor. In 2014, I quit a job that I wasn't particularly suited for. For four years, I tried my best to wear the role of pastor, and some of it was a good fit, but a lot of it wasn't. One of the things I liked was being an entertainer. Now, that may cheapen the role for some, but it's true for me. I liked getting up there every week, finding a few good jokes, knowing how to sell something important, and playing the audience like an instrument. I loved that part of the job, and I have podcasted for over a decade as a result of knowing that entertaining is fun for me. I also really liked the the personal parts of the role, like counseling a person, getting a quiet moment with a baby during a baptism, touching someone's forehead as I administered ashes on Ash Wednesday, and helping a person, excuse me, and hearing a person recite their wedding vows only a foot away from me. I loved the intimacy of it all, of getting such a privileged vantage point to some of people's most profound moments. But also, the job of pastor fed my ego in dangerous ways. I enjoyed being the guy who was a pseudo-celebrity in my little group. I feigned humility as I led more and more staff, was more and more in demand, and said things like, yeah, 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 let's totally spend time together. I'm booked a few weeks out, but we'll make it work. Ooh, yes, I'm in demand. See my importance. And to be brutally honest, I don't even think I was that good at the job. I've never in my life preached a sermon and had someone say it was great. Which tracks. I have all kinds of personal doubts that aren't formed enough for me to bring to a pulpit. And I'd way rather craft a good story than a compelling explanation of what Paul was thinking when he wrote to the Romans. So yeah, I quit my job in 2014. It wasn't good for me, I wasn't good for other people, and I had and have dreams of other vocational and personal pursuits. Which then led me to the rest of my life, a life spent in some form of ministry. Again, that's the pursuit of love, justice, mercy, humility, care, and the like. This life of ministry will have endless iterations. For example, last weekend, I cheered for a fifth grade soccer team next to parents who were certainly of various faith and life backgrounds. But together, we loved and affirmed our kids, talked to each other, and made tiny little inroads towards community. I would agree that we were all doing some kind of good work together. Maybe we'd even call it ministry. Right now, I have a dear friend who is sitting next to her roommate who is seriously sick in the hospital. There's no conversion metric attached to that scenario. It's one friend keeping watch through the night. That's ministry. I walked by the Supreme Court the day Roe v. Wade was overturned. 
an older man and woman were there giving, quote, free hugs to those who mourned and those who celebrated. That's ministry. Bridget, I'm guessing you weren't asking for all of this when you casually dropped me a line. Sorry for that. But for me, quitting the role of pastor was a momentary loss of a job coupled with a huge sigh of relief. And getting any, excuse me, and quitting any job can be hard. I hope that the process goes well and that your church sends you off with care. Time and distance will make the loss of that job easier. And leaning into your new dreams will codify that, uh, will codify that your decision to go was a sound one. But the real journey begins as you discover what it means to be involved in ministry, now that your job isn't tied to it. For me, that has been a profound and challenging progression. You were a pastor, and now that job is done. And today, you and I have the daunting and liberating freedom of seeing what it means to be in ministry, free from labels and expectations. I hope that for you, it is rooted in fearless honesty and profound compassion. Okay, well, we are here at the portion of the show I have come to call the free skate. Thank you for listening to my thoughts. And thank you for asking the question, Bridget, about uh, just time in your time leaving your role and what that has meant for you and allowing me to be a part of that at all and allowing us into that. Um, but also, I thought, you know, for this free skate, I have walked with one person. Well, I've walked with a few folks, but I've walked with one person in specifically for a very long time, uh, especially as it pertains to, well, all things. Uh, my friend Teddy, who is on right now. Hello, Teddy. Hello. Yes, hello, sir. Teddy, uh, you, if you have heard me speak or write, you have heard Teddy's name before, uh, because Teddy and I have known each other for, uh, when was it, Teddy? 2005? 2005, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I 17 applied, years. 17 years. I applied for a worship leader. I, I went, went to seminary at Asbury in Kentucky and, a, and found like a, just a, like a classified ad in the school that they needed a worship leader. And Teddy was the pastor there and interviewed me. And then we became friends. And then we were part of a church uh, gathering together called Offerings. Uh, and so, Teddy, I promise I'm going to let you talk in a second. But um, <laughs> no, that's quite all right. You, you, you didn't tell them that you got the worship leader job without ever, without ever playing the guitar in front of me. That's funny. You just <laughs> assumed that if I was showing up, I could do it. That's so funny. I've never. <laughs> I, just, I don't really have an ear for these things. And some other people told me you were good. I believed them. <laughs> that's so funny. I never realized that. Um, but also, can you imagine? <laughs> If I had brought the guitar and if you were like, well, let me hear a few bars like to have to try out for you. I mean, <laughs> that would have been incredibly awkward. Um, but I also wanted to bring Teddy here because he has not only walked with me through all parts of life, um, stuff that we've talked about on the show, stuff that we haven't talked about on the show. But he walked with me really specifically through this particular season, the time of being a pastor at Summit and leaving. And then also Summit was the name of the church. Um, but then also. Uh, wanted to have Teddy here because Teddy has been, and I still consider him my pastor, but as of a year ago, is now no longer a pastor, so has also left that role. Um, so, Teddy, if it's okay, can we start there? Like, how long can you kind of give us your pastoral resume? Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. So, I was a pastor for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, almost, almost exactly. Like, almost to the day employed uh, by a church 
for 20 years. I started when I was 20. I ended when I was 40. Wow. Uh, what was your first role like? So, were you a youth pastor, right? When you were I was 20? a youth pastor and then a director of student ministries yeah. and then an executive pastor and teaching pastor and the lead pastor of, of uh, one of the worshiping communities at my, actually back at my home church, which is where I was for 17 of those 20 years. Okay. So at a United Methodist church um, in the middle of Kentucky, just a beautiful, uh, beautiful church, really sweet community. Um, and we found ourselves because of that job, I was at that church and got to see you in action. Um, and you have, were always, and, and still were, still are to me, one of the few true pastors I feel like I've ever met. Like, um, and I don't know how comfortable you are, uh, owning that, but like <laughs> you really weren't in it to be, uh, you know, like get a book written. You were really in it as you would say to like, what was it? Lead a fine worship and visit with the people. Yeah. Like, called like it classical pastor. Very classical pastor. What, what brought you to be that kind of classical pastor? <laughs> Cause you could have been like a light show church pastor again, not a problem, yeah. but it was, it was a very dis clear decision that you made to be a very classical pastor. Uh, surprise and delight that, that it, that's not what I, it's not what drew me to ministry. Hmm. Uh, actually, when I was going into ministry, I specifically said that I was very interested in preaching and teaching. Mm -hmm. I was interested in leading a, a team of people um, and that I was not all that interested uh, in pastoral counseling, mm -hmm. in um, funerals, in weddings, in things of that nature. Um, and and I, I think part of that is I'd had some of the preaching and teaching experience. And I really enjoyed that. And I, and I always did. I, I enjoyed that all the way through ministry, but it was, um, it was sitting across, um, a, a coffee table from someone, um, or sitting in my office with someone as, as they were working on some frequently some life crisis or just deep confusion it was sitting with a family a couple of hours after someone uh, they loved had died. Those were the moments that, uh, those were sacred moments. Hmm. And they were, they were such honors and gifts. I mean, and, and this is where, uh, you know, we, we've talked some about how ministry is like, we're, we're all called to ministry in some respect. Uh, hmm. But then the, the job of a pastor, when your title is pastor, it does, it gives you certain entries into people's lives that you usually otherwise don't get. You don't, you don't get the phone call to show up a few hours after a death, hmm. um, un unless it's people incredibly close to you, but right. for a whole congregation to, to give you that call and, and for someone to sit with you and talk about, uh, real personal struggles. Uh, I, I guess what I've seen just in a, a year of not doing that is that those were gifts that uh, most of us don't have as regular parts of our lives. And, and I came to love it. And then as I started reading more about historical pastoral ministry, I was like, well, this is what it's always been. And I want to clear my plate of anything that's not this. Yeah. That's, so interesting because like y you started reading about that 
after you were a pastor or you read about that early on and realized like you wanted to form your ministry around the way it had always been? Just so I'm clear. Yeah, good question. Now, I it, it came after it, it came in um, in reading like there's a there's a man named Richard Baxter who uh, he wrote a brilliant book called The Reformed Pastor, and he said you should meet with every one of your people four times a year. And he said, and some of you pastors will complain that you don't have the time for it. He said, then cut your salary in half and hire an assistant because their lives and souls um, are at stake here. Ooh. And <laughs> that was really hardcore. And, yeah. and, I, and I, uh, I wish that I could have uh, done it like that. Uh, my goal was just once a year mm-hmm. with, uh, with a person across a table. Um, and it, it was incredible the difference that made. Um, and I mean, when it's once a year, you're kind of like, you're getting this random, deeper view into their world. Mm-hmm. And some people would ask for those meetings and I would meet with them several times a year. But some people, if you didn't initiate it, you only got the once. And I sat with a couple who uh, they'd had, um, they'd, um, uh, they'd lost a pregnancy uh, about three months before mm-hmm. and hadn't told anyone. And he said, I'm worried that she's clinically depressed. And, uh, and we had this long conversation about it and uh, it turned out that she had been, and, and we worked at getting her help. And I don't know, had I met with them two months before or five months afterward, it would have been a totally different story. But uh, just to have some of those opportunities to get deeply into people's lives, it's really significant. So do you feel like that distinction of pastor, not pastor, you feel like less of an ability to be in people's lives like that now that you aren't a pastor. And we're going to get to like the why you walked away from the position and or felt called out of it. Like, we'll get to that. But like, do you feel as though that you don't have that entry point because you don't have the title of pastor anymore? Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I mean, not, not all the way. There are still some of those instincts, maybe. Yeah. Um, but let's put it this way. If you are someone's financial advisor, it is quite normal to say, hey, how's your, how's your investment portfolio looking? Mm-hmm. Whereas if I randomly say that to one of you know, my hundred closest acquaintances, <laughs> that's going to be a very strange question. Um, and so there are just those, those things where, um, and sometimes it's the question that I'm able to ask um, that wasn't no one asked me to ask it in the first place. And and it's also like when I see people back from my home church and I, I don't still have that title, but I've had that role in their lives. And so they do, uh, they come to me and they, they talk to me differently than other people do. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like this is a part of the special relationship that we had. Right. You're never not that. I, that has been surprising to me. I was a, pastor for a much smaller, shorter amount of time than you were. I mean, it was four years, almost a decade ago for me. And I still did a wedding. I I still performed a wedding last year, a funeral the year before, because I was Mm. the pastor on record, you know, and sometimes like you're their last, for some people, like you were their last pastor. And so you're still, Mm. there's still the cell phone number that they have that they call if they need something like, it's always a privilege to get to hold that. But it's an interesting thing. I can't imagine how much 
more it is with you. Um, okay, so I guess I'm curious, like, you were there for 20 years. I came into it much more as like, this is a neat opportunity. I want to be able to lead this church. Did you come into it with a deeper sense of than me, than than calling and did you feel called to it? I guess is what I'm trying to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. It's a, it's a big question in pastor yeah. world, right? Like yeah, right. when were you called and how were you called? And uh, so Eddie, I actually, uh, like when I met you and the whole time you were at our church, I think if people had asked me my calling story, I'm pretty sure I would have said, I, I can't really give you one. I yeah. don't know. Like I haven't gotten this message from God that says you must be in pastoral ministry or you're doing the wrong thing with your life. Yeah. Um, I actually did uh, my senior year of high school. I did have um, someone who helped in our youth group who actually spoke those exact words to me. Hmm. Um, and so I guess I could have used that as my calling story, but, but even when he spoke those to me, I was like, yeah, maybe. And um, instead for me, so I'm in my home community and there was more this sense of, um, they have asked me to lead them. Um, and it yeah. seemed good. Yeah. Like it and joyful. And I did not get a sense that it was um, an unfaithful thing to do. And and I've actually tried to encourage a lot of other people in that. Like I've heard some people speak about pastoral ministry almost like, yeah, but I just never I've never gotten the call. And I I'd like to reframe that for some people just to say, look, hey if someone will trust you to do this and you don't get some other sense that you absolutely shouldn't, maybe you should try it. Like do this for a little while and, and see if perhaps it's calling that you just, I don't know, mm. you, they, they heard the calling better than you did. Like if somebody else is willing and asking you to do it, perhaps that is calling. So okay. That, yeah. that was my I, deepest I, sense of it. Yeah. Okay. So maybe it was uh, there. But was there a sense of it going through this 20 years that you were somehow living in the favor of God's best for you in that moment? Like you were supposed to be doing this? So there was a sense that, yes, in this particular moment, this is yeah. what I should be doing. And then it changed. Um, so our family went to Spain for a year. Yeah. Um, when we were supposed to be coming back, I uh, had that. The person who had taken my position at the church, we knew might be interim, and, and he was. Uh, and he called and said, hey, I, I'm leaving. Will you come back? Um, and I kind of, I think I surprised myself and everyone around me. Hmm. And I said no. And um, just kind of set my mind to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something else. And I thought that there would be kind of relief about having made that decision and moving on. And instead there was nothing but grief. And like, uh, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. And I just had this deep sense that um, where I thought this was my decision, that, I don't know, perhaps it wasn't really my decision to make. Mm. And so, and I thought they'd move on and instead, um, they came back and kicked the door back open like this. Are you sure? And I did what any sensible person would do about this at this point when there's already all sorts of doubt. And I said no again. Yeah. Um, 
and continued to not be able to eat or sleep. And Emily, my wife, was like, hey, are you are you really sure about this? Yeah. Um, and as with most significant decisions in my life, probably was um, a better voice in my head than a better voice than the voice in my own head. Yeah. I was like, Hey, maybe you should do this. Um, and from that point on, it felt like internal calling, not like something other people were asking me to do that I felt like was good and right. Yeah. But like, no, I just had this experience where if I do anything else right now, I think it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, and and so it's gotta be this. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so we're getting to the punchline, but I do, I do want to ask you like, um, this is kind of a, this is a self-serving question, but like, you're one of the few people that I have known back when the part of what I just wrote and wrote about and, you know, shared on the podcast was happening. And you walked me through a lot of the time of should I should I leave the church and that was there was that was a hard decision it was a hard decision Mm -hmm. because the church was in a hard place um and I was in a hard place with that um but like I left and went to IJM and basically was never to pastor (laughs) again formally I didn't know that at the time and have dipped my toes back in thinking about that but I've always just only gotten so far I was halfway down the road to being an Episcopal priest for not halfway down the road. I was halfway down the on-ramp to thinking yeah. about getting on the road to being an Episcopal priest a couple of years ago. But I've just never never been able to cross back into that. And it's just clearly not uh, where I'm at. The question is, um, you seeing me through all of this, like, is, is what I shared, does that resonate with how you viewed it from an outsider and from somebody who knew me best? Or am I remembering how that was differently? You know what I mean? Yeah, good question. I think you were better at it than you give yourself credit for. Um, I, I, I think you, um, you are very good at deflecting. Um, you, you said something about not, not preaching great sermons. And, and now I'm go, now I'm wondering if I failed to tell you, you preached no, great sermons no, no. or if you failed to remember that I told you that you preached great sermons. But, but what I can say for certain is that um, you are an incredibly gifted communicator. And uh, especially when you communicate something that you're passionate about hmm. and you communicated the gospel very well. And, um, uh, you also are an incredible listener and I cannot imagine that you did poorly sitting with people. Now, the, the other side of it is, yeah, I think, I think it was hard for you. Um, and I, I imagine you might always wonder how much was your particular situation, which was yeah. a crazy hard situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, I would not frame that as you bailing when things were hard, but recognizing that it was not healthy for you. Mm. Um, and I mean, for anyone else in ministry, I, I, I feel like that that's actually a really important question for everyone to ask. Like if you're only staying because of some sense of obligation or duty, I think it's actually probably quite unhealthy both for you and for your congregation um, Hmm. because they, they need more than that. 
and maybe the best thing someone can do is identify that their congregation needs more. So I, I don't, I hope I'm answering an, enough of your it question. Is. Yeah. 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 And I appreciate the kind words. I did not set it up for that, but I, I, <laughs> I do appreciate, you know, it's uncom- I'm uncomfortable, but, um, yeah, it's just interesting how time has changed so much of that season and that story. And I wonder, uh, even when I was reading it just a few moments ago, like what of this was like what I've through counseling and consideration made that time to be versus mm-hmm. what, how it really was. So anyhow, it was good to hear you. Well, and, that. and yeah. real quick, the other, the other thing, cause you talked about how, um, in that role, you, you there's a certain way that within that small world, you are like somebody once called me like, famous within my little church world, which yeah. I thought was a very strange way to say it. Like it, it was a small church. I was not leading a mega church. And I was like, yeah, I, I guess that's true. Like all 120 of these people have to know who I am. Um, and they don't have to know every single other person here. And, and there is a, um, there's a way that you can get wrapped up in people's perception of you within that little world, because it's your, almost your whole world. Oh, even it, though it's not their whole world. It is a whole bubble. Like in a, that whole bubble knew me and knew my stories and knew, yeah, laughed at, you know, at the jokes I made because I kind of trained them about what was funny. Like it was, <laughs> it was an odd, it was odd because I did come from the very kind of like celebrity culture church. Yeah. Um, and so I was set up perfectly to be part of, of that machine. Um, and they and, hear, and, they hear your voice more than any other person. All, like who else gets to stand on stage and talk to them for an extended period of time on a weekly basis. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. S- said, said the guy who's now sitting here hosting a podcast, um, <laughs> but that's another counseling session for another day. Okay. So here's how I want to, I want to wrap up the time. Um, but I want to ask because we've kind of heard the trajectory through you being a pastor, but I will give away the punchline in that you are not a pastor. Now you are back in school pursuing in a completely different career, which to know you makes sense. Uh, you are in law school um, to know you makes that makes sense. Um, but uh, you are a non-traditional student. You are older. You have children like this is, this is a different uh kind of thing. So can you tell me when the idea of not being a pastor started to percolate? Yeah. In January of 2020. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, But it was, it was pre pandemic and I'm really grateful it was pre pandemic because pandemic was awful in ministry, but it was awful for a lot of things. Um, And, and it was a, a terrible, unpleasant me resisting it thing. Um, I always thought I'd die or retire in ministry and I was, very happy about that. And, um, I just, I, I had this very unpleasant sense that that was kind of the exact reverse of the Spain experience. Yes. In Spain, it was like, if you do anything else right now, you're doing the wrong thing. And I actually, I, I thought that was probably a like rest of my life thing. And then the sense in January was just of 2020 was just as strong. And it was a sense like, this is no longer yours. Um, and uh, I was more emotional than I've been in my life. Yeah. I was again not sleeping. Yeah. And uh, and and it was not a calling to law school. It was yeah. a what in the world am I going to do with my life if it's not this? Um, that I then um, 
put away at the beginning of the pandemic and was actually really relieved thinking, okay, that was, maybe that was something weird and it's gone now. Uh, but then it just, it, it came back and just continued. Yeah. And through that, I imagine, well, I, I know, so I'm baiting you on a question I know the answer to, but like, <laughs> there is the reality both of, you know, what am I going to do with my life? just vocationally like what what actually what i do now because this is kind of where i've had all my chips in this but also i mean there's the community the community that you have been a part of building that you have spent time in that you have gotten the calls at two in the morning to come over because someone's passing away that you have been there right you've served communion you've done all of the stuff that's made it really deep how did it feel to realize that not only were you leaving but you were going to not be the pastor of that that very tight knit community anymore. Uh, Gut wrenching. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it was my entire adult life. Yeah. And I, uh, I mean, I, I referred to, to that as my other baby of sorts. Um, mm -hmm. and, and not that I claimed any right to it, but had seen it from its inception and had known a lot of these people, from when I saw them first dating to yeah, yeah. performing their marriages to then baptizing their kids. Um, and, and I thought I was, I was in it for the rest of their lives. Yeah. How, how was their response when you ultimately began to tell them? Um, by and large, incredibly gracious and celebratory. Huh. Um, one uh, one person I remember actually saying, we we are going to be so proud to send you to law school. <laughs> oh, uh, and and it was so sweet. And and that just speaks volume. Like one of the things I did not ever have to worry about. I, I hear a lot of pastors talk about how badly they're treated, and and I don't think they're making it up. I think some pastors really get beat up, and I I never was. My congregation took very good care of me and my family mm -hmm. throughout. And, and so it, it was not leaving a job. It was, it was leaving our community. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I will say the other thing that came much later, well, like several months later, it was around like October left in June and around October, I was like, and I am, I am not carrying the same weight that I had been and that I, I think I had been for a really long time and I didn't even realize it. And, and that just the, uh, like going to sleep with people's lives in my mind. And like, I was not responsible for them getting jobs yeah. or uh, dealing with the death of a loved one, it, like for, for them recovering from whatever grief they were going through. Yeah. But I, I almost felt like I, I was carrying a part of that burden with them. And I realized that was gone and it was a great relief um, that I think uh, was a, a good and fine temporary relief. But I, I think also ultimately we're, we are also supposed to shoulder each other's burdens. And so that's not one that I want to relieve myself of long-term. Man, oh man. Okay. Um, well, I think that's kind of where our, I think that's where the story will stop for this. I, um, I, I, 
I feel like there's part of me that wants to put a bow on this because I know there's people that are probably in ministry, like professional vocational ministry that are thinking about leaving. There are also some people that are like, I would never leave. And I don't barely understand what these folks are saying, but I feel like the juxtaposition of our two stories and how like long you were a pastor for how real the, the decision to leave was and how uh, just very like uh, just tangible the the release of that was um i think will be helpful for people for some people to hear um knowing what you know now what would you tell yourself and this is such a hacky question but what would you tell yourself in that process like you're you're basically someone is listening to you going like yeah i'm about to make the same decision like what would you offer to them kind of as someone who has gone before them and done this yeah um, cling to the people in the present and uh, give over the future to them. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I worried quite a bit about the future. You, know, you, you talk about leaving at a hard time, yeah. and I knew I was leaving at a hard time and uh, really wanted to find ways to secure the future as best I could. And um, I think it would have been better to just spend more time sitting with people and celebrating them and continuing to be their pastor um, and letting the leadership say, okay, what's the future? Teddy, appreciate you coming and hanging out with us, man. I feel, I feel like this is too formal. You and I usually don't hang up the phone <laughs> like this, but thank you for doing this, man. <laughs> it's great. Thank you, Eddie. Love this. Well, I am deeply grateful for Teddy Ray. He is uh, just one of my favorite people on earth. And I kind of embarrassed him a little bit by talking about it. But I just, he is, I mean, one of the most loyal, truest friends that I have ever had. Ooh, I should be playing the closing music right now so that you have have an auditory cue that it's ending. Here we go. There. <laughs> then that feel more normal now i feel normal talking um he is just one of the best friends i could have and he, um uh, just am super grateful that he came on the show and uh i'm gonna link in the website i'm gonna link to his website in the show notes because he is also one of my favorite writers and one of my favorite thinkers so uh go to that learn more about teddy ray follow him on social media he didn't ask me to say this this isn't part of the gig he just came on because he likes talking but you should follow him on social media. He's uh, definitely worth your time. As always, thank you for being here today. Uh, would love to hear from you. Would love to hear any thoughts you have, uh, critiques, anything. Uh, would love to hear. And also love to hear your thoughts about how this is going. We're in week eight. Uh, the audience has done, the, 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 the listeners have kind of flattened out, which is good. This is what's supposed to happen. So it's just you and me now. It's it's the crew. People that are going to be here are going to be here. would love to know what you think of the show. Uh is it too long, too short? Should we be doing a newsletter and a podcast? All of these things. So I just love to know what you're thinking about it because this is, as you can tell, a work in progress that we get to be on together or more accurately that I get to be on with you. I'm rambling now. It's time to close the show. <laughs> uh, check out the newsletter. I obsess uh, over a great documentary that I watched about, it's called 38 at the Garden. It is the story of Sanity, which is really the story of an improbable and totally incredible scoring run by Jeremy Lin. Uh, but it is much more than that from director uh, Frank Chi. It is so good. So 38 at the Garden, we talk about, I talk about that a little bit over on the newsletter. 
Um, also, uh, if you have anything you want to talk about, just go to eddiecoffolds.com. Feedback, archives of old shows, everything is there. And as always, thank you to Uncle Jimmy, who edits the newsletter. If you need him to edit anything for you, written, he is an exceptional editor. He is very fast. He is very kind. You should get him to edit your stuff. I mean, he'll charge you for it, but he's worth paying for. <laughs> Uncle Jimmy, he's worth paying for. <laughs> that's, a, that's a slogan. All right, that's it. Time to go. I'm already hard at work on next week's, and I look forward to chatting with you soon on the next Doing the Best We Can. 